Presently, I had reached a point more than halfway between the house and the gorge. All around us spread the stark loneliness of the place and the unbroken silence. Steadily, I neared the great building. Then, all at once, something caught my vision. Something that came round one of the huge buttresses of the house and so into full view. It was a gigantic thing and moved with a curious lope, going almost upright after the manner of a man. It was quite unclothed and had a remarkable luminous appearance, yet it was the face that attracted and frightened me the most. It was the face of a swine. Silently, intently, I watched this horrible creature and forgot my fear momentarily in my interest in its movements. It was making its way cumbrously round the building, stopping as it came to each window to peer in and shake at the bars, with which, as in this house, they were protected and whenever it came to a door, it would push at it, fingering the fastening stealthily. Evidently, it was searching for an ingress into the house. Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today, we're going to be looking at the Devil Swine. Okay, so we've got something a little different for this Friday's Monster episode. We've not put out a, a a poll on Twitter as we normally do, and that was because there was a particular monster that I wanted to talk about, and it's one that I've only recently stumbled across myself while I was looking through my Old School Essentials Classic Fantasy Monsters book. And I was sort of in a bit of a sort of lycanthropic state of mind, so I was just looking through, and there was the normal sort of suspects, you know, you wear boars, you wear rats, you wear wolves, stuff like that, even you wear tigers. But I noticed a, a monster that I personally wasn't familiar with before, and that is the lycanthrope known as the Devil Swine. So, love, you've got the OSE monster book there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it says about the Devil Swine? So, uh, it's an A5 book and it's probably a third of the page, so there's not a lot to go on here, but there is a lot that you could make use of. Yeah. So, quote at the top, Corpulent humans who can change into huge swine, love to eat human flesh, lurk in isolated human settlements close to forests or marshes. Indeed. We've then got the basic stat block... Let's see, AC3 or 9 in human form, 9 hit dice, 40 hit points, so they're pretty tough. Thacko's 12, and they've got a gore attack or an attack with a weapon or a magical attack, Mm -hmm. which I'll chat about in a sec. So we've got a shape change power, but it only works at night. I don't know whether that means that they're locked into whichever form they choose at dawn, or whether they have to go back to a particular form at dawn. I, I would assume, given that they're described as humans who can change shape, that they're probably like they're stuck in human form mm-hmm. during the day. But obviously, if you're a GM, you can tweak that as you need for your own game. Yeah. And then we've got the uh, charm power. Yeah. Three times a day, save versus spell at minus two, or be charmed. Uh, if you're charmed, you move towards them, resisting anyone who tries to stop you you do what they tell you to and you're unable to cast spells or use magic items you're unable to harm the devil swine and 
if someone else kills it, it breaks the charm. Yeah, and I can see there it says they're normally encountered with 1d4 minus 1 sort of charmed mm-hmm. people as like a little entourage yep. when you encounter them. So that's pretty much what it says in the Old School Essentials um, monster book. But it is also notable that on the next page we have got the werebore. Yeah. And just to contrast, these are clearly not meant to be such an intelligent creature, but they are meant to be tougher. Um they have one power which is a battle rage power yeah and they take up a sixth of a page on the a5 book it's barely a paragraph it's it's a weird thing though because i mean looking at the weirboard stats i can see that they've got a better ac but they've actually got far fewer hit points Mm -hmm. they've got a lower thaco as well so they'd make like ideal sort of shock troops and then your devil swine would be your boss mob. So after discovering this in the old school Essentials monster book, and I know it was in the previous iteration of it, BX Essentials, I thought, well, old school Essentials is a pretty much a direct port of the old basic expert version of Dungeons and Dragons. So I did a little bit of research online and found out that the Devil Swine indeed appeared in the expert book for Mensa D&D. And it's pretty much exactly the same. Like I say, Old School Essentials is pretty much a direct port, so I wasn't surprised by that. We get the same sort of description, you know, their shape changes, they haunt the fringes of human settlements, especially those near swamps or forests, apparently, which makes Mm -hmm. sense, you know, pigs... Uh, they're carnivorous, especially fond of human flesh. They can assume the form of huge hogs or fat human beings. And it says here, we get a little bit more detail about the shape changing that mm-hmm. you were asking earlier. It says they can change from one form to the other freely at night, but at dawn, they're stuck in their current form until oh, dusk. So it gives us a bit, a little bit extra there. A devil swine can be harmed only by silver or magical weapons, according to the expert book. They've got the charm person still, which pretty much works as you've described, and the stats are pretty mm. much the same. So, having found this, I also then went back to have a look at Necrotic Gnome's website because Gavin Norman, when he was coming up with BX Essentials, did a lot of blog posts and things like that. And he's talking about in a post that was made on the 29th of June 2018 that. He was interested in particular in monsters that appeared in a certain version of D&D but never really got carried forward to later mm-hmm. editions and the Devil of Swine is apparently one of those. And on this page he's got a, a lovely bit of artwork which is by Luca Rejek which shows the basically a person trussed up to be eaten and around them are all these fat humanoid pigs wearing weird culty robes the person is surrounded by fruit there's jugs of wine and all these fat pigs are basically getting served by a waiter and they're sitting down to eat this person i love that yeah it's quality isn't it and it obviously we can't really show it you because of copyright and whatnot but it's an absolutely great piece of artwork and i'll put a link down to gavin's um, blog post that has it in in the description of this show but it reminded me of like you know there's old um certainly in the uk i don't know about elsewhere in the world but that was like the tradition sort of in a 
earlier time as well, like when they were doing like cartoons and caricatures of people. I was going to say, yeah, it looks like a newspaper cartoon. Yeah, they'd often characterise uh, sort of rich or very affluent people as being mm-hmm. like fat cats and sort of like hogs who were like yeah. just like snuffling up everything that was going. And this piece of art by Luca Regic with these these fat hogs that I ran about to tuck into this, no doubt quite poor, judging by how thin they are, person reminded me very much of that, you know. And one of the things I quite like about The Devil's Swine is it strikes me as being more of a more of a sort of urban lycanthrope. Well, yeah, when I was looking at it, it made me think far more of the pigs in Animal Farm than anything else. Yeah. Of the sort of particularly the charm person powers that they've got being very um sort of like how i think it's snowball no squealer is always talking to the other animals and convincing them to go along with the plan and you could see how like if you can charm three people in a crowd if it's the right three people you can have the whole crowd on your side and yeah I thought it could make for quite a good villainous monster in that way. Yeah, and another thing about it is the the sort of affluence that this uh, this sort of picture and the the sort of idea of the devil swine portrays. Quite, you say, mm-hmm. if you can influence people, mm-hmm. you're going to influence people and make yourself more comfortable. Now, when we've had like urban lycanthropes previously, in my view, they tend to have been like you know like you wear rats and you're sort of scrubbing around in the sewers and stuff like that. Whereas this actually seems like a lycanthrope that could do quite well in like civilized and in inverted it's commas one that society. Want to do quite well, exactly. It enjoys the luxury, and it getting those luxuries seems to be part of its reason for being. Yeah, I mean, for, for right or wrong as well. I mean, most sort of D and D games are set in this sort of pseudo medieval sort of like vibe. And you would assume that in most sort of medieval times, like unless you're really well off, you're not fat because you're busy working on your farm, you haven't got much money, etc. Whereas the devil swine is specifically described as being corpulent. So obviously, I know that sort of ties in with the idea of like pigs being quite fat, but I think it's definitely a reference to... You know, the, the sort of, like, idle rich, you know, people who are just consumers, which obviously ties in with the idea of, like, pigs, rather than, you know, your more normal, sort of, like, pseudo-medieval, like, people working in the fields, like, your peasantry, etc. So, after I'd, after I'd sort of found this post on Gavin Norman's blog, which, like I said, I'll link in the description, I did a little bit more research in it and found out that, apparently... I don't know how true this is. These creatures are based on the swine things from William Hope Hodgson's story, The House on the Borderlands, which I've read a few times, but I did refresh myself before this episode. And essentially, it's a story where some people go to an old house and they find the journal of the crazy old hermit who used to live there. And he has this weird experience where he's either gone mad and he's hallucinating or he's passed into alternate dimensions. Maybe both. It's not made clear. And he sees these like alternate reality versions of his house and this great pit. And from the pit comes this pale humanoid swine creature. 
and it, the house is besieged by them, the journal ending when they start breaking into his house. And this is the thing that you read the quote from at the start. That's of the right, that's exactly where the quote came from. And I can quite see how you could sort of lean on that for a, a horror vibe, because normally when we tend to think of mm -hmm. like anthropomorphic animals, it's either like quite cutesy... Uh, but it's it's not that scary, whereas something about a creature which, to all intents and purposes, it looks like a human, but it embodies like the worst of humanity, uh, throw in a smattering of like sort of bestial sort of impulses, and this view where they just see humans as like other animals for them to consume. You could really go with that horror vibe, and as we sort of seem to have segue nicely into the how you can use them in your game. Obviously, I'm sure you've worked out by now that me and Hannah are a fan of the sort of Wicker Man-esque sort of um, pagan-style like horror stories. And we've talked mm -hmm. a few times about how you can use various monsters in that sort of like Innsmouth-style village vibe. Well, imagine you go to a village and they keep a lot of pigs, they're farmers, nothing seems untowards. Maybe they've got a few more pigs than other villages, but the whole village is designed just to lure people in, like passers-by, to eventually be feasted upon both the people and the pigs in the village who are all actually these devil swine. And basically anyone, any one of them who ends up stuck in its pig form just sort of trots to the pen to wait for the night time, knowing they'll get fed by like their relatives and whatever. Mm -hmm. And the others, meanwhile, adopt this facade of the peaceful, bucolic, pseudo-medieval village. Oh, there's a nice little tavern and stuff like that. But when you end up there... Obviously, the final destination is probably the cooking pot. <laughs> so, love, have you got any ideas for how you think these creatures could be used in RPGs? So, I'd actually quite like to see them used in, as you said, an urban setting. Yes, yeah, Perhaps very much Perhaps as so. a group of gangsters or mobsters, or if you wanted to go really on the nose, they could be police or corrupt politicians. And when I say an urban setting... It could be a fantasy setting, it could be a oh, sci-fi yeah, yeah. setting, it could be a modern-day setting. Um, the idea of shape-changing creatures whose like, main reason for being is to enjoy luxuries, and one of the luxuries that they particularly enjoy is eating human flesh. There's so much you could do with that as a group of villains if they can work together. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you want to sort of like lean into this sort of like corpulent consumer stereotype, there's so many sort of tried and tested like NPC types you might have in a typical D&D game. So if you think about like the stereotypical sort of like scheming seneschal or, you know, like the sort of like the fat cat sort of merchant, you could easily sort of like take ramp that up to the nth degree by saying that they're one of these devil swine. And, you know, all of their scheming and their charming people and getting into positions of power is basically designed to, like, fill their own gullets. Because if you want to be sort of cynical about it, aren't sort of 99% of the things we do as, like, real people just designed to make sure we're fed and that we've got enough creature comforts? And the way I see it is the devil swine is just that sort of taken to the nth degree. So to, to use, like, a, a sort of catchphrase it's like holding like a dark mirror up to ourselves mm -hmm. you know where they just take our worst sort of features and they exaggerate them and put them in a fantasy format yeah and if you did want to sort of really push this kind of thing 
you could have these characters introduced as just some people that are funding some stuff that the player characters are doing and then when the player characters discover what's going on behind the scenes yeah and they discover that like actually there are people farms involved or they're taking people off the streets or however you want to play it that's when they discover that it's it's a devil's wine not just a person yeah, and I mean, it's interesting you say that because perhaps when they turn up, they seem to be like a genuine good Samaritan. You know, maybe they're like, yeah, I, I've made loads of money. I'll put out some money to um, to set up this um, this home for like down and out retired adventurers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no problems. I'll set that up. Yeah, I'll, I'll deal with the books. I'll get all the permissions and whatever. And if, if, and if the odd person like leaves and isn't seen again, who's really going to notice? Now, something else to look at with this is player characters and the charm person thing yeah and how you want to play it and i can see a few different ways you could do it you could either have the gm roles tells the players oh you quite like this guy and the players just go with it which is probably what would happen in one of my games yeah i tell people oh you are predisposed to like this person there is a reason for it, but I'm not telling you what. You'll find out when you find out. That's cool with my players, but a lot of players would want to make those roles themselves. And then you've got the sort of awkwardness of worrying about whether you're revealing too much of the game too early. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd probably tend to do it in one of two ways, which, again, as you rightly say, depends very much on your Mm -hmm. particular group. Um, I'd probably either because if it's a group of people you know you know what sort of NPCs they tend to like like and they sort of gel onto during the game so if I had that information I'd probably just portray them in a way that I know would favourably dispose the PCs towards them and let's face it if all else fails having them like back some of the PCs missions or like provide them with stuff is a good way to get them to like them or provide them with rumours or quests or whatever um, so that's one way I might do it. The other way I would do it is I would just not use the charm person on the player characters. I would mm-hmm. just use it on all the other NPCs. So maybe the player characters are like, I can't see why that like um, quartermasters like so beloved in the city because I think he's a right bad. And all he does is like eat all the time and like accumulate money. But everyone seems to like worship the ground he walks on. Let them realise that like something odd is going on by not affecting them. But whenever they talk to another NPC and they're like, "What do you reckon about that quartermaster? He seems a bit..." They're like, "Always, he's a lovely person. Always, never has a bad word for anybody. Always goes out of his way to help everybody." And then you can you can sort of make it obvious that there's something weird going on without just saying like, "Oh." a charm effect's mm-hmm. been put on by the players going like well what they're saying about him doesn't seem to match with what we know about him mm-hmm. and once they've worked out something's gone wrong if you've got certain groups of players will just go like right this is obviously a mystery to solve and they'll be on it and that that's probably what i'd do if i was a player character mm-hmm. other people might just sort of like write it off as a strange coincidence or like or maybe the gm's getting things mixed up but if it's if you play this consistently like consistently make this guy like a bit of a cad but mm-hmm. every NPC loves him. Eventually, they'll twig onto the fact that like something's going wrong, and they'll probably want to get involved and investigate, even if it's just that, like. That's a the definite guy. long game approach. Yes, if it you is. Want yeah. to have him there for like 
five or six sessions or more. Yeah. Another thing I found interesting was you were saying like potentially using like the weird boars as like mm-hmm. sort of foot soldiers, I suppose, for like the yeah. devil swine is. Originally, the reason I came across this monster is I was looking for an orc alternative for my game. And that, for my old school essentials campaign I'm running at the minute, and that's not because I have any beef against using orcs in games, but I was just looking for something a little bit different. And I'm a big fan of what they call like the pig-faced orcs, you know, the more porcine-looking orcs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I know there's weird boars because I'm like familiar with them. I was like, I'll just flick through like my OSE book. I'll start yeah. off with weird boars, and I'll see what else is going on. And that's when I came across these devil swine. And I'm like, all right, I'm not sure if I'd use them as is as an orc replacement, because obviously they're, sim- they're quite a lot tougher than a normal orc. But I'm like, the sort of general idea of them, even if I don't use those exact same stats, like maybe make the ones in the book like a greater sort of devil swine and then have some lesser devil swine who don't have all the invulnerabilities and the charms and whatever, but they can still change shape would be a potential way of doing it. But yeah, I found them really interesting. So can we think of any other ways to use them in games? How would you feel about letting someone use one as a player character? And that's a a bit of a difficult one because... I normally, if I was talking about lycanthropy, I tend to regard it as like a curse. Mm-hmm. You know, curse of the werewolf, whatever. Mm-hmm. And certainly in earlier versions of D&D, to the best of my memory, and therefore Old School Essentials, there's not a great deal of information on like how lycanthropy works. It was only in later editions of D&D they sort of expanded on that a little bit. But I'd normally, with any lycanthrope, I'd go for the whole... like. Um, you know, it's a curse that gradually comes over you. You start waking up in strange places. You don't know what you've done. There's some blood on your face, like someone's disappeared in the village. M- make it like a really negative thing. And I know in later versions, basically, if you embraced your curse, your alignment would change to something more suitable of an evil lycanthrope, but then you gain more control. So I'd, but when you sort of get to that level, you're sort of bordering on NPC territory as far as I'm concerned. But I honestly don't know how I do it with the devil swine because most like weird creatures, you're not going to exist in a city because you can't be like a raging werewolf and like go unnoticed in a city. But the devil swine, aside from their penchant for human flesh, mm-hmm. appear to be quite urbane and quite well adapted for like blending in with human society. So I'm really not sure how I do that. How do you think you do it in your games? I think I would probably say, yeah, okay, you can do it, but if the other player characters kill you, I'm not going to stop them. Yeah. It would be a matter of the player trying to keep it under wraps for as long as they could. Yeah. Being able to like play out whatever character, I'd probably say you'd be looking at some sort of um, noble-themed character yes, from yeah. like some rich family. And you've got a lot of political sway there, but you've also got this big dark secret that you've got to keep. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to give you these penalties if you don't eat human flesh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. And then I'd just let it play out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think another way you could do it, sort of like riffing on a bit what you were suggesting there, is rather than giving them penalties, is perhaps the the benefits you get, the charm, the change shape, mm-hmm. that's keyed into your you're eating of human flesh and like these compulsions so basically you, you say I, i'm and i'm just putting random figures out on the backside. maybe you say like oh if you don't eat flesh within three days you lose like the charm ability and if you still don't eat it within another three days you lose the transformation ability you only get them back when you eat human flesh so the idea is is if you don't 
want these abilities and you restrain yourself from eating human flesh, you can be fine. But let's face it, charm person three times a day, changing shape, being immune to like non-magical weapons, that's quite handy if you're an adventurer. Mm-hmm. So you've got that sort of deal with the devil vibe going where you find you, you'll be fine going like, no, I'm not eating human flesh, I'm going to resist. But then, then, then you find yourself the in a combat. party's trapped in a dungeon. Yeah. And there's this one guy who you know is a thief and a murderer and God knows what else. And it's you or him. Yeah. Um, and you could go and rescue the rest of the player party, but you know he's going straight out if he survives. I mean, let's face it. May- maybe you, the rest of your party's down. They've been take. You're facing some massively powerful enemy, uh, but well, he's you only know the bard doesn't need his legs. Well, no. The thing is, maybe maybe this guy who's like taking down the rest of your party, he's only armed with like a normal weapon, but he's mad like proficient with it. So let's say I don't know, he's like a level ten fighter or something, and you're all like level two. And it, but he's only got like a normal weapon. Suddenly, like the idea of like, well, if I just eat a bit of flesh, and I would say it can't be your own, you can suddenly be immune to non-magical weapons, which means you can just take this down, and then you can get your guys off and get them some healing. And maybe you're like, well, oh, I take a nibble out of his leg. I'm going to get him healing anyway, so we'll be all right. <laughs> but once you've sort of, it's like everything. Once you started on that slippery slope, you're that, or you become reliant on those abilities that's when it's going to start leading you down that path. And I'd probably say, depending on how you use alignment in your games, because obviously I know not everyone uses it, that after sort of indulging for a few times, that would mm-hmm. definitely impact your alignment. And then maybe like more flaws and things like that can start yeah. coming in later on. And obviously the other part, the rest of the party are going to react to it because you do it once, they're about like, well, we're in a tight situation, we've got healed up, no harm done. But then when it starts happening more often and you start finding excuses... I think a lot of that would depend on whether it was them that were getting bits eaten or whether it was, like, a bad guy that was getting eaten. Yeah. Plus, you've also got... And you're absolutely right, but then you've got also the thing where, let's say... Let's say your devil swine-like party member has only done it once to get you out of a jam and everyone was healed up, there were no problems... Everything goes as normal, everything goes back to normal. Then, like, a few days later, like, well, the city watch are, like, coming around in the area and they're saying, like, oh, a couple of people have, like, disappeared in the area and they found, like, gnawed bones nearby. Mm. I'm sure at least a couple of the party members are going to be like, has he, uh, has he like, slipped back into the, those ways again? Has he, like, embraced the devil swine side of his nature? And maybe they did, maybe they didn't, who's to say? But it's certainly going to create a bit of uncomfortableness in character and a bit of in-character tension. And how much you like that is obviously down to your group and your game. Yeah, ve- very much something to talk to the player who's wanting to do that sort of a story. But I would play the shit out of it. Oh, yeah, you'd love it. And you'd probably do it really, really well. I might last three or four sessions and then get written out of the plot. <laughs> no, I'm sure you'd be fine. Anyway, that has been our episode on The Devil Swine, which has rapidly become my favourite lycanthrope. I think it's really interesting. It's different to the others. And like I say, it allows you to hold this dark mirror up to human society. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've got anything you'd like to say to us, you can drop us a voicemail. 
using the SpeakPipe website. There'll be a link in the description down below. If you're having trouble with the SpeakPipe website, we still have our old Anchor podcast account available that you can leave us a message for on that. Again, there'll be a link in the description. Maybe you want to talk to us about the devil or swine. Maybe you want to just make a comment or some suggestions for future episodes you'd like to see, or just generally have a chat, whatever, it's all good. You can also send us an email, maybe with an audio file attachment, to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Bye.